chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall dwell and shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away, (coughs) excuse me, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Thank you, John. It's not uh, that difficult to find songs in our in our songbook about heaven, but two Sundays in a row, man. And John got the tough task of, of doing that on the second Sunday, but what a wonderful job in selecting our songs, and what a wonderful job that you did in singing those. And also, thank, thank you, Mark. I, 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 this is probably more about me than you want to know, but I told Mia, uh, in fact, this morning, I said, I've been uh, riding the edge of emotions this week, and I said, I'm, I'm concerned that I'll get in the pulpit and, and blubber, and, uh, but Mark got that out of our system. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for being heartfelt. And, and folks, that's a passage you can cry about. What a wonderful reassurance it is. Also, owe my gratitude to Ron Heidecker, and for Ron not only filling the pulpit in my place last Sunday, but also doing that with a 12-hour notice. And Randy Bailey told me when he called him and explained our situation last uh, Saturday night that he didn't even fully get the request out. He said uh, he explained the situation and said, would you be willing to? And Ron said, you bet I would. So, uh, you know, you can take a, a guy out of a pulpit. You can't take the pulpit out of the guy. And Ron's a perfect example of that. And it was a fantastic lesson, too, by the way. We watched it online, and we're grateful to Ron for, for pre- presenting that lesson. I'm also grateful for a number of things in terms of our own personal situation. I'm, I'm just so grateful that, uh, uh, that while Mia did have COVID, and, but it wasn't any worse than it was, uh, Mark was, is a COVID survivor as well. And some of you know what that's like. You've been through that. And I'm, just, I'm so grateful that we didn't spend any time in the hospital. Mia didn't have to go on oxygen or a ventilator, and, and I didn't have to make any funeral arrangements, folks. And so... Uh, if you can have a good case of COVID, uh, we've, we've had that at our house this week. And uh, thank you so much for your phone calls, for your texts, for your cards, and your, your demonstrations of concern and compassion for my sweet wife and, and for me for being in 10 days of isolation and probably prayers that went up for her for having to be isolated with me for 10 days. And uh, so she's got a few cu- couple of more days that she needs to stay at home since... Uh, um, 
she has actually had a case, and, and so she's, she's playing it safe, but she's, she's at home. You've sent cards. I, I got one uh, since I came in this morning. And so, folks, help me to remember to get this and take it home to her, because if I don't, we're going to have a couple of grandsons that are going to be greatly disappointed. Mia, darling, this is for you. Uh, we're, we are talking about heaven this morning, and, and, and with your uh, consent, well, maybe even without it, uh, I, I normally preach a lesson that has to do something with the theme of, of Christmas. We're, we're thinking about that at this time of the year. And I normally do that on the Sunday before Christmas. Well, guess what? This is it. And since I was spent no time in the office this week, I'm presenting the lesson that I would have presented last week. Next Sunday, we'll be talking about something um, more germane. We'll be talking about the gift of hope. And so I hope to see you next Sunday as well. Today, I want us to think about that wonderful city of God, that new Jerusalem that is described for us in rather sketchy details, and we'll be talking about that in just a, f- a few moments. I, I remember being in a, in a lectureship program one time that had a question and answer session at the end of, of one of the sessions, and, and someone asked my, my preaching mentor, Brother Tom Holland, why doesn't the Bible, since, since our spiritual goal is to go to heaven, why doesn't the Bible tell us more about heaven? And Brother Tom said, uh, he said, I don't know. He said, but my personal opinion is, is this. If it told us all there was to know about heaven, none of us would be any use in this, in this world. We'd all want to go right now. And, uh, and so maybe that's, there's something to that. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for what God has said about this subject. But, but I want to begin with this phrase that came from a classic movie of many years ago. There's no place like home. That's more than just a catchy phrase from a movie, folks. Uh, That's a deeply held feeling. I know that there are every week men and women who, after a long day of work, they they come home and they're weary and and all they can think about is, boy, I can't wait to get home. And those in in the hospital, you usually ask the doctor that inevitable question, when can I go home? Even though you may go home and still feel lousy, you still feel better Somehow, when you're at home, and thoughts of home pull at the heartstrings of those who've been called away to fight our country's battles. Many times they're lonely, they're in a strange land, they're performing an unpleasant mission, they wish that they were somewhere else, but soldiers long for the day when that war will end and they can go home. Likewise, I want us to appreciate something that I know you already know, and that is heaven is oftentimes referred to in scripture as home. We often sing a song, Home of the Soul, and that's certainly true, and it's biblically sound. We sing about that, and and we understand why God has used that imagery in Scripture. When, When a fellow Christian dies, oftentimes at the graveside, we will say, he's only gone home, and that's exactly right. And so when all God's singers get home, it will be a homecoming of monumental proportions. And I hope that we can come to think of it in that way if we haven't before. But what does the Bible tell us about this eternal home? I want us to focus on that for just a few minutes, if we may, this morning. What, can we really know what heaven is like? All of our lives, we've, we've heard that, that heaven will be wonderful, that it will be beautiful, it'll be beyond anything that we could ever possibly imagine, and we believe that. And if we didn't believe that, in all likelihood, we wouldn't be Christians. That's our prime motivator. And yet the reality is we haven't been there. We haven't, we haven't even seen pictures of it. So how can we be sure? The desire to know what's beyond the grave has always existed. 
I'm sure that Adam and Eve, the planet's first couple, of course, they asked that question. They wondered about it when they laid their son Abel in the grave. Is there anything beyond the grave? Is there anything after this life? And Job, one of the earliest patriarchs, the book of Job is supposed to be, uh, and, and most scholars consider it to be one of the oldest books of the Old Testament, perhaps one of uh, as old as Genesis itself. But Job suffered terribly, and that's the theme of the entire book, and how he responded to that suffering, and how his, his three friends opened their mouths long enough to change feet. You know who I'm talking about. But, but he suffered. And in chapter 14 and verse 14, Job asked that question that I think it resides in the heart of every reasonable person. The question was this, if a man dies, shall he live again? And that's a question that every thoughtful person needs to have answered. The Apostle Paul wrote about being caught up into heaven, or at least most scholars surmise that it was Paul was, was talking about himself in that particular passage. But he said he wasn't permitted to talk about the things he had seen or heard. I find that intriguing. But nevertheless, here's what he did say about that experience, and it's recorded for us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. Here's what he did say. We know that if this earthly tabernacle is destroyed, you don't have to think very deeply to appreciate that he's talking about our physical body. That's the tabernacle or the tent, the earthly tabernacle that we live in while we're in this world. But he says, we know that if this earthly tabernacle is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Now, some don't have that same kind of faith. You know that. I know that. In a speech given at the grave of a small child, Robert Ingersoll, probably one of the most famous agnostics who ever lived, said this. If you can imagine, think about what he said at the grave of a small child. We do not know, he said, which is the greatest blessing, life or death. We cannot say that death is not good. We do not know whether the grave is the end of life or the door of another or, or whether the night here is not somewhere else a dawn. Every cradle asks whence, and every coffin asks whither. The poor barbarian weeping above his dead can answer the question as intelligently and satisfactorily as the robed priest or the most authentic creed. The tearful ignorance of the one is just as consoling as the learned and unmeaning words of the other. Think about that last statement. The tearful ignorance of the one is just as consoling as the learned and unmeaning words of the other. I tell you what, if that's all you can say at my graveside, I'd just as soon you stayed home. But we have to admit, so far as personal experience is concerned, that, that's true. None of us knows from our own experience what heaven is going to be like. But I remind you that Paul wasn't speaking from his personal experience. He was speaking by inspiration. And so from that knowledge dictated from the other world, he said, we know, not we hope or we speculate, surmise. He said, we know that we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. St. Isaac's Cathedral is in Leningrad, or I think it's called St. Petersburg now, but it was reputedly one of the most beautiful buildings in the world. And you may not know this, but it was originally erected as an edifice that was intended and designed to glorify God, a place of worship. But unbelievers have since dedicated that beautiful cathedral 
At one time, it was the worship home of the czars of Russia. They have dedicated it to atheism. And where the altar once stood, they have displayed pictures of the Russian cosmonauts Gagarin and Titov. And, and beneath those pictures are the words that were spoken by those two men when they were orbiting in space. And, and you probably know the words. They said, we have searched the heavens and there is no God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazingly arrogant and amazingly presumptuous? Our most powerful telescopes cannot probe the depths of space, and yet these men flown only a few hundred miles above this tiny planet return and say, we, we have searched the heavens as if God is within reach of a puny rocket launched from Earth's surface. Now, admittedly, when we've already said that this morning, we don't have a complete description of heaven. And it's obvious to any Bible reader that both those of the Old Testament and the New Testament believed in heaven. There are many more references to heaven, of course, in the New Testament than there are the Old. But still, the reality of heaven is spoken of and sometimes implied in Scripture in the Old Testament as well. And yet, again, those descriptions are sketchy. Just a hint now and then about what heaven is going to be like. The most complete description isn't given until near the end of the Bible. And I think maybe that's by design. God wanted us to end our consideration of his revelation that we call the Bible by thinking about what heaven will be like. Isn't that wonderful? And I think that the older you get, the more wonderful it becomes. So we've got 65 of the 66 books of the Bible have been completed. And then this final book that Mark read from a moment ago, the book of Revelation, is almost finished. Only nine paragraphs remain before the word, recorded word of God is complete. And then a picture of heaven is provided for us in chapters 21 and 22. I want us to spend the rest of our time this morning noticing some of the particular verses in those two chapters that mean so very much to those of us who are believers. The description actually opens with these words. Revelation chapter 21, if you've got your Bible or your device, you might want to look at that particular passage, beginning with verse 1. Paul or John says, by inspiration, I, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I think that's interesting imagery. I didn't really intend to say that this morning, but what a powerful picture that is. Oftentimes, a groom will tell you, that it was the day of when we got married was, was the time when she was most beautiful. And when you see her walking down that aisle, adorned for her husband, and you're about to exchange those vows, what a wonderful time that is. And God said, that's, what's, that's what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be like a bride that's adorned for her groom. And, and you'll and you look at heaven and you'll say, isn't, isn't that beautiful? It's beyond description. And then a little bit later in verse 10 of that same chapter, he says, and in the spirit... He carried me away to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light, some versions say radiance, was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now it's interesting. Please notice that John really is describing heaven from three different perspectives. First of all, he describes what heaven is going to look like 
from the outside. It's almost as if you're approaching heaven and, and you have a, a panoramic sort of view of what heaven looks like from the outside. And he tells us what he sees as he approaches heaven from, from a distance. So heaven, or as John has called it, New Jerusalem, sits on a great platform upon 12 beautiful foundations. And then he goes on to describe what the foundations are made of and how they look. And he says the first one is jasper. The second one is sapphire. The third is agate. The fourth is emerald. And he continues through all 12 of those foundations, the final one being made of amethyst, all of these being precious gems or precious jewels. And then he says the city is actually surrounded by a wall made of solid jasper. And that wall is punctuated by 12 gates. Each of those gates is made of solid pearl. The city, he says, is four square. The length, the height, and the depth of it are all the same, which is 12,000 furlongs. Or translated into our terms, that would be 1,500 miles. So it's 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles deep. So on just one level, it would cover all of Great Britain, and France, and Spain, and Italy, and Switzerland, and Belgium, and Germany, and Holland, and Austria, and Turkey, and Poland, and Scandinavia, and European Russia. I'm going to let Lauren rest. And remember, that's just one level. It reaches upward 1,500 miles as well. So think about it, whether that's intended to be literal or not. Think about the immensity of that wonderful place. And if you can think of a place from where you are sitting right now this morning that's 1,500 miles away, you get some idea, some comprehension of its size. If you need some help, it's 1,500 miles to Midland, Texas. It's 1,500 miles to St. Paul, Minnesota. And it's also 1,500 miles to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That's a big place. But it needs to be for all God's people, all God's singers who come home. Then John describes heaven from the outside, or from the inside rather. The, the, the outside is the first perspective. And then it begins to describe what it looks like once you have passed through that gate and, and you're looking at it from the inside. The gate through which John walked and entered that city is, is made of solid pearl. We've already mentioned that. But what we didn't mention was that pearl is, is, is the only gem that's made from a suffering, wounded little animal. Maybe there's some spiritual significance in that. Maybe when we enter heaven through, that, through the suffering, atonement, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, it will help us to appreciate more what it took from him to get us there. The ultimate price that was paid by our Lord in order to allow us to, to live in that city not made with hands. So it's our own suffering, I think, that, that makes heaven even more meaningful. If we haven't suffered, heaven probably isn't going to mean a great deal to us when we get there. For instance, John says heaven is a place where there will be no more tears. Mark read that in our, in our text just a moment ago. That probably doesn't mean anything to a person who's never cried. Or he says it's a place where there will be no more sorrow. What would that mean to a person who's never been brokenhearted? And he tells us it's a place where death will no longer exist. And I have to tell you from my personal experience, that means the world to a person who has stood by a graveside 
and laid a loved one in the ground. And he tells us it's a place where there'll be no more pain. And that means so very much to a person who has suffered from physical anguish to know that there is a place of respite, a place where you will never, ever have any pain whatsoever, ever again. And then he says the street will be made of pure gold. The gates will be never shut and there will be no night there. Contrast that, if you will, for just a moment with the circumstances of this life. Most cities that I've, well, let me, let me amend that. Every major city that I have ever lived in, and I've lived in probably a half dozen what I would consider to be major cities. But then you have to realize that I'm from the North Georgia mountains, and so Wetumpka is a major city to me. No aspersions against Wetumpka. But in every really major city that I've ever lived in, the people are afraid to get out at night and walk the streets after the sun has gone down. And I'm sad to say that that could be said about many cities across this nation and even around this world. But John said there will be no night there. There will be no concern about your personal safety. You'll never have to lock another door You'll never have to turn on the burglar alarm on your car ever again. And as John continues his walk through that city, he saw the river of life. And on either side of the river, he saw the the, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. I believe that's a, 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 a figurative way of helping us to appreciate that there will never be a time of need or want. The tree will be budding and giving forth its fruit 12 months out of the year, if we think in earthly terms. And he tells us that the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Think about that for a moment. Especially having gone through and and being right now in the middle of a pandemic. What it means to know that that it's for the healing of the nations. The blind will see, the cripple will walk, the deaf will be able to hear again, and the sick will be made well. And then thirdly and finally... John describes heaven in terms of the people who will be there. First, from the outside. Secondly, from the inside. And thirdly, in terms of the people who will reside in that place. You know, people is what makes a place pleasant or unpleasant. If I may give you one simple illustration. Jamaica is thought of as an island paradise. But it's also renowned for its high, incredibly high crime rate. Most people, or many people, are afraid to even vacation in Jamaica anymore because uh, of the crime that, that uh, riddles that place. And, and we can say that about any place. The, the most beautiful place in the world is, is unattractive unless we love the people who are there. There are some cities that I know of that I wouldn't want to live, but I think of in fond terms Because there are people that I hold in high regard, who I love very much, who live in those cities. Do you remember how John's description began when we read Revelation 21 verse 1 earlier? He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. That seems like a little strange phrase to throw in, doesn't it? All of a sudden, as he's describing heaven, he says, and the sea was no more. It took me a while to understand that, why John included that phrase, but I think I now understand. John wrote these words from the island of Patmos after he had been exiled there because of his faith. 
He had been left to die of starvation and or exposure. And so here he is, isolated on an island. And the point is, he was alone, and between him and the people he loved was a sea. But John says, when we get to heaven, there will be no more sea. There will be absolutely nothing to separate us from the people that we love. And isn't that a wonderful thought? I know that in this audience, an audience of this size, and those who are watching and joining us online, you can immediately think of those godly people who lived in faith, who died in faith, that you love so very, very much. And to know that when we get to heaven, they're going to be right inside the gate looking for you and waiting for you. And what a grand reunion that will be. To be able to see the saints of all ages gathered in this one place. And the magnificent climax of it all is that we will see Jesus face to face. The one that we learned about when we were knee high to a grasshopper. The one that we've sung all these songs about all these years. We'll be able to see him face to face. And friends, I have to tell you, I look forward to that day when I can see my Lord. The one who loved us enough to go to the cross and to die for us. Some time ago, and I I want to end with this, a, a minister in California announced that his radio message back in the day when we used to do those kinds of things, he had a, a, a radio program, and he, and he announced that the next Sunday he was going to be preaching about heaven on the radio. During the week, he received a letter from a very old man who was also very ill. And the letter read, at least in part, Dear Sir, next Sunday you're going to talk about heaven. I'm interested in that land because I've held a clear title to a bit of property there for over 55 years. I did not buy it. It was given to me without money and without price. But the donor purchased it for me at a tremendous sacrifice. I'm not holding it for speculation but because the title is not transferable. It's not a vacant lot. For more than a half a century, I've been sending material out of which the greatest architecture and also the greatest builder of the universe has been building a home for me which will never need to be repaired because it will suit me perfectly, individually, and it will never grow old. Termites can never undermine its foundations, for they rest upon the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. No locks or bolts will ever be placed upon its doors, for no vicious person can ever enter that land where my dwelling stands. And now almost completed and almost ready for me to enter and to abide in peace eternally without fear of ever being ejected. There's a valley of deep shadows between the place where I now live and that to which I shall travel in just a short time. I cannot reach my home in the city of God without passing through that that valley of deep shadows. But I'm not afraid because the best friend I ever had went through that same valley long, long ago and drove away all the gloom. He has stuck with me through thick and thin since we became acquainted some 55 years ago. And I hold his promises now in printed form, never to forsake me and never to leave me alone. He'll be with me as I walk through that valley of shadows and I will not lose my way when he's with me. I hope to hear your sermon on Sunday next Sunday. 
on heaven next Sunday from my home in Los Angeles. But I have no assurance that I'll be able to do so. My ticket has been marked, but no date has been marked on that ticket for that journey. No return coupon. No permit for baggage. Yes, I'm ready to go. And I may not be here while you're talking next Sunday, but I will meet you there someday. No wonder we sing blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Little wonder that Paul said in Romans 8 verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. No wonder that he said that he desired to part and be with Christ, which he said in his estimation is far better. Can you imagine? Paul said, I'm, I'm caught between a straight. To, to depart and, and be with Christ or to stay here and be a service to my brethren. But to be with Christ has so much more going for it. It's basically what he's saying. And, and, and no wonder just a few sentences after John gave this magnificent view of the holy city that he laid aside the pen forever. He closed the book divine with the last prayer of the Bible. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I wonder in your heart of hearts this morning, is that your prayer? That the Lord will come back and that we will join our own. John tells us that only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will be granted entrance into that heavenly city. That's Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven. if you want to check it. I want to go to heaven. And I know that you want to go there as well, or you'd be someplace else on this beautiful Sunday morning. But there's more to going than just, than just wanting to. Listen to these words, also taken from Revelation 22, this time verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commands, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gate into the city. You see, you go to heaven by doing all of God's will, by obediently submitting your life to him. And this morning, if you're not a child of God and you've never made that initial step to have Jesus' blood wash away every one of your sins in the waters of baptism, then we call you to do that right now while we stand and while we sing this song.